in your presence, in your house, as your family. This is your family. This is your church. We are your people. Thank you, Father, for your word to us. And we pray today, Lord, that as we spend time together just exploring this issue of time, I pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus would be up and that the church would be edified and that the community would be impacted because of what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, it's great to see you this morning. It's really nice to be here. My name is Dom. Good to see you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm expecting, like a Christian's Anonymous. My name's Dom, and I've been saved since I was 17 years old. Uh, this is my wife here, Luby Lou, a.k.a. Louise Bird. Uh, so we celebrated our anniversary 16 years yesterday, which is great. So she's loving it, which is awesome. She's been so blessed by the Lord, as you can tell. And I've got three boys as well. So raising a little tribe. Caleb, give us a wave. Here we go. Caleb's into uh, football. Oh, hey, let's see. Caleb's into football. Um, I didn't say he's any good at it, but he's into it. Um, but I can still beat him in the garden. Oh, shush. You haven't got the microphone, so stay quiet. Uh, ju- yeah, he's, in, he's caught in Cornwall, so he's got a rugby ball. We've got Judah here, who is nine years old. Uh, Judah is a legend, and we like to sing Hey Jude at any given opportunity to him because he loves that. And this is Zeke. You're going to give everyone a wave, Zeke. How old are you, Zeke? Just turned seven years old and super handsome like his old man, which is great. Let me just um, bring some clarity around that crazy introduction that Dave offered me about this idea of being an apostle. Um, You know, it's funny because obviously we have different perspectives of that, particularly if you're from other movements and denominations, as to what is all this about. Uh, Well, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that there are five essential ministries given to people. They're grace gifts, pastor, prophet, pastor, teacher, and apostle. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Five functions of grace. It's a gift of God. Not one more important than the other, but all equally important to attaining the end goal, which is the church coming into maturity. In fact, Paul says, like, these things are essential until the body reaches, the body being the church family, full maturity in Christ. And I think, you know, across the board, the church in the United Kingdom, we've still got some work to do. So therefore, we still need prophets, we still need pastors, we still need teachers and evangelists and apostles, and we all play a different role. So my role within our movement, which is the apostolic church, is I lead a church locally as a pastor, alongside my wife, Louise, in Bournemouth. We're a multi-site church, and we've got a couple of locations, um, and we do that as our kind of local ministry to the community. But then on a national level, I also serve as an apostolic voice into our movement, which means I give support and care to a number of churches around the United Kingdom, of which Hope Church, Penzance, is one. Um, but sometimes, like, I don't know, sometimes people introduce me in a funny way, the funniest one ever. I'm actually from the Midlands, like Alan. So I'm suppressing everything in me right now to go, all right, guys, how are you doing today, right? You're all right, am you? I mean, it's unbelievable how many non-Cornish people I've met in Cornwall. Like the Premier Inn where we've been staying, there's loads of Liverpudlians, which I don't know, they must be lost. I don't know how they got there, but they all seem to be working there. But I I remember speaking at a church in Warsaw, uh, a church that I was giving cover to. And I went to go and do the ordination of the incoming pastor, who was Jamie Clay, a brilliant pastor, brilliant preacher, brilliant man of God. Great husband, great dad, just an awesome legend. And he looks like a Viking, which I like. I think it's cool. He's got this big beard and kind of big red hair. Very cool. And uh, his elder, Alan, he also called Alan, he got up and he says, um, he says, now some of you don't know this, he says, but we've got Dom here today, right? And if you don't know who Dom is, he's an apostle, 
which means he's like Jamie, just better. <laughs> of course, that really set Jamie's ministry up to flourish, didn't it? I was like, not quite right. Just a different function of grace. It's all God's doing. And, um, you know, so I don't profess to be an apostle on par with Paul or Peter, but really just the apostolic ministry to try and pioneer work, to support work, to plant churches, and to see the kingdom of God advance. Amen? That's what we want, isn't it? And we need, we need all of those ministries in their place. We need evangelists reaching people. We need pastoring, uh, pastors shepherding people. We need teachers teaching people. We need apostles planting people, sending people, being sent themselves. And we need prophets bring, bringing the oracle of God into the church of God. We need to know the voice of God in this time. And so um, I'm going to kind of do a few apostolic things later, i.e. we're going to pray for the team here uh, at the end of my message. But um, just before we came out summer holidays, there was a summer, I believe, somewhere in the world at some point in the last few months. I mean, it wasn't in Bournemouth, that's for sure. I think we had about three sunny days in the school holidays. Um, But as a family, we went to France at the end of the summer holidays, and I was just really seeking the Lord there. And he was speaking to me about the issue of time. And I guess I just want to bring some of my thoughts around that, because I think this could be a timely message, because obviously you're in this space at the moment where uh, the Colemans, our dear friends, and your dear previous pastors and brother and sister in Christ, legends that are the Colemans, have obviously felt like it was time to move back to the promised land, sorry, Bournemouth, (laughs) and... uh, you know, move home for a number of factors. But I just want to reassure you, because I'm a close friend with Phil, um, so like I'm his support in the movement, but actually our relationship goes right back to 2004 when we were next-door neighbours at Bible College. So our our relationships pre-existed our ministry roles and stuff. Um, So when I speak to Phil, I wear multiple hats. I wear, like, a covering apostle. I wear co-pastor and co-labour in the field. But more than anything, I'm a brother in Christ to him. And let me just just affirm you guys that um, his departure from this church specifically was the hardest thing I think he's ever been through. Um, I think it was harder for him to leave here than it was for him to leave Sunny Hill two years ago. And I've really seen that raw kind of emotion in him, um, a sense of loss and grief, because uh, not so much for Cornwall specific, but for you people. He dearly loves you, as does Emily. And so we're working uh, with him in that and through that, uh, through, through it with him. Um, but I know sometimes when pastors leave, I'm not suggesting there's a sense, was it us? Let me just say it was not you. It's just that there is something that I think God's doing. And, you know, we're in the kingdom. I always try to teach our church that we live with open hands, that nothing is guaranteed, that one, one year it can look like this, the next year it can look drastically different. But the good thing for the church, the great news for you and the great news for me, is that the church isn't built on Phil Coleman. And neither is the church built on Don Bird, and neither is the church built on the Apostolic Church, or the Elim Church, or the Church of England. Thank goodness. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but, but ultimately, it's built on Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But yet there is a role for church to play because we know in Matthew 16 that Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom to Peter. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, it's the jurisdiction of the church to advance the kingdom and cause of Christ in our generation. And so I don't want to jump the gun too much, but today I want to talk about time issues because all of us relate differently to time. And in the New Testament, we see two different words for time. Uh, especially in the Gospels, we see Jesus in John 4 deal with time in two different ways. There's a chronos way of dealing with time and a kairos way of dealing with time. Uh, let me just give a bit more substance to that. 
A chronos way of dealing with time is the exact measurement of time. So some of you here right now, you are chronos people. Okay, which means time is an exact science. If I say we meet at 9 a.m., you are there at maybe two minutes to nine, three minutes to nine. If you're like my mom, you're there at half seven in the morning ready for that meeting. Like my mom and dad and Louise's parents are similar, actually. You know, if they're going on holiday and they've got to catch a plane on Tuesday night, they'll be there Sunday morning just because they don't want to miss it. Because their chronos kind of understanding of time is like it is exact. And then you've got another way of dealing with time, which is kairos. And kairos is the feeling of time. In other words, it's less exact, and it's more like, I feel it's about 9 a.m., right? Now, some of you can automatically relate, because generally, these people marry each other. Generally, I'm just saying. I'm a Kairos person. Louise is a Kronos person. So one of the biggest issues we have in our household is always the issue of time. Louise says, okay, we need to leave the house at this time, because we've got to be at church, let's say, for half six in the evening. In Somewhere in my internal makeup, that God has given me, okay? Um, just saying, as an aside, it's God's doing and it's marvelous in his eyes. Um, somewhere in my eternal, internal makeup, I hear I've got to be at church for half six. I know, because I've done it many a times, it takes about 20 minutes to drive. Yet I leave at 25 past six because I think it's a five-minute drive. Internally. Because I don't necessarily engage the head when it comes to time, I just engage the heart. And so in some ways, I think, like, it's, you know, we, I've ministered all over the world. I did a pastor's conference a few years ago in Uganda, and it was due to start on the Monday afternoon, but people didn't arrive till the Tuesday morning. And I was like, this is my people. <laughs> I feel at home here. Um, even this morning, I was talking to Alan. As coming out, I just need to go to the toilet. I said, what time does church said? And he said, 10.30, give and take. I was like, Kairos, that's my man right there. Dreckly, is it? Actually, I've heard this. That is a, okay. Well, maybe that is in the New Testament as well. I haven't discovered that word yet, Dreckly. Dreckly. And does it, is it short for anything? Directly. But it's the opposite then. Okay. So, directly means roughly. <laughs> okay. Okay, right, yeah. Okay, I've got a lot to learn about you people. Uh, what's that? Cornish, oh, is <laughs> Okay. So anyways, put your hand up just quickly if you are a Kronos person. Okay. Okay, hands up if you're a Kairos person. Okay, we're going to make a WhatsApp after church and we can moan about all of these loser Kronos people in our own time. Um, Jesus actually is both. There are moments and appointments that, I mean, the scripture says, doesn't it? He says, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And in moments, like in John 4 with the woman at the well, it said that he had to go through Samaria. There was a time, a moment, an appointment he had to keep. But also, so there's a chronos moment. But also, the word kairos is also used to speak to the situation post that engagement. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But, you know, I was thinking about this. Our human propensity is to do one of two things. Outside of the Kronos and Kairos kind of dilemma. Uh, if you put the first slide up. Um, some of us are inclined to dwell on the past. Our relationship with time is sometimes we can get stuck. We, we can get stuck on what has been. We can get stuck in the heyday. We can, 
We can have an exciting uh, moment, maybe in ministry, maybe in life, maybe in family. And it was so significant for us that it becomes a moment that we look back to with fondness, which isn't a problem, but actually we can almost like wish for that to happen again. And, and, and so the, the dwell on the past is a real issue, even with the people of God. Uh, in Isaiah, we know that God says to his people, do not dwell on the former things. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. A dweller who doesn't manage that propensity well can actually get stuck in their walk with God because they are living for a moment. Think about um, when Jesus takes uh, Peter up the mountain and the transfiguration happens. Like Peter's encountering the glory of God in some sort of way and he's a spectator and his response to Jesus is, let's build a tent right here because he wanted to live in that moment forever. Yet that, wa- that wasn't God's will. This was a momentary thing. It was a significant moment, but it, God never wanted them to live in that place. It was just a passing place. Okay, So we've got dwellers. And then by uh, contrast, we've got dreamers. People who dream about the future. People who are so fast to forget the past that it's all future-oriented. Now, you know, one of the kind of... Um, gifts or functions that God has given me in the body of Christ is I'm a visionary, so I can often see things quite like, like it's real before it happens. And um, I, I just get a sense of what God is saying and doing. And so sometimes when I think about our local church at Sunny Hill, it's a real problem for our leadership and staff team because they're in 2023 and I'm in 2030. Because I'm so thinking about the future and the impact and what we need to do and the people who are going to get saved and baptized and healed and all of these things that I'm longing to see and I believe I'm co-laboring with the Spirit of God to see oriented around this vision and and, and sometimes people are just like, Don, we're not there. You know, so sometimes I can be like in my head preaching to a crowd of like 3,000 but there's 100 in the room because I'm oriented by this dreaming propensity to kind of look ahead. And I just want to think about this just for a moment, because, uh, you know, Louise challenged me just before the summer, you know, as good wives do, and I didn't want to embrace it at first, but she said, you know, I notice in your preaching, she says, you're always talking about the next season. She said, it'd be really good to hear about this season. You know, because my, my, my inclination is to cast vision and get people excited about what's coming. But actually, how do we understand the present? How do we navigate the season we're in? And a better understanding of that, I believe, is to uh, really embrace the moment that God has brought us into. So we're going to look at James 4, just quickly. If you can put up the uh, James 4, please. Look at what it says. James says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? James asked the church. Now, here's a sobering reality for you. He says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, this is hard for us to hear because this is a real knock on our self-esteem and our sense of significance in the purposes of God. Um, I know I preached on video here a few weeks ago. And I think from memory, I spoke about the passing of Moses, I think. And it was like, Moses is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua. It's a a crazy 
situation where God almost breezes over the legacy and impact of Moses because God's got a purpose to fulfill. So, you know, have your time of grieving, but now the next chapter is it's, it's happening. Now Joshua. Well, James says, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If I was to uh, consolidate this text into a principle, can you put up the principle that follows? This is what I would say. I can't change yesterday. I have no guarantee of tomorrow. Today is the only day I have. Today is the only day I have. How does that cause us to reflect on the moment? If we're inclined to dwell on the past or dream about the future, there's the possibility that you miss them right now. Even with the departure of the Colemans, for example, maybe we might be inclined to reflect on the past. Oh, do you remember when Phil used to teach the Bible rather than this Midlander? You know, um, oh, just imagine one day when God gives us another pastor and we can be caught in that place, in the in-between, and we miss what God wants to do now through us. I can't change yesterday. I have no guarantee of tomorrow. Today is the only day I have. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 90, verse 12. Can you put up the next text, please? Psalm 90, verse 12. The psalmist says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, obviously, none of us know how many days we're going to have. But what we do know is that our days are, in fact, numbered. The one thing we all have in common today is that unless Jesus returns before we die, we're all going to die. Be encouraged. You know, I think of Lazarus, a miraculous moment of resurrection, only to die again in the future. Death is a reality, and it's, it's something that often we don't think about until we're confronted by it, and then all of a sudden, we become reconnected to that fragility and vulnerability of life. Even with people that we've been journeying to that point, if we've got a family member or a spouse who has been ill, and we're almost expecting it. I've been pastoring now since 2007, and like I see it time and time again. Death always surprises people. Because what our inclination is, is to is to think that we're going to just keep on going. And then we hit a wall, and in that moment we're like, man, what matters now? And so the psalmist says, number your days, because when you number your days and understand the limitation of life, when you understand that you are just a passing moment, a grass that quickly withers, there's wisdom. That is the heart of wisdom. The principle I have kind of condensed that to is time is the greatest commodity we have. I teach my boys this all the time because I, I guess I'm a bit pragmatic. I'm very logical. So as appealing as it can be for a parent to try and build your kids and prime them for success, to understand the economy and how money works and how to invest and all those things, more money can always be made. The one thing that cannot be made is time. Time is the one commodity that is constantly slipping away from us. It doesn't matter if you're Bezos or Musk or whoever. Time is something that is constantly ticking. And so for me, I'm always trying to teach my boys, time is everything. How you'll spend your days matters because the heart of wisdom is to teach them to number their days. 
time is really significant. I was thinking about this, that Ian, come here, please. You're a very handsome man. If I gave you £86,400 right now, put your hands, I've got a surprise for you. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) With blessing from the Apostolic Church. There we go. In uh, Lagos, sorry. Lagos. Um, If I gave you £86,400 in your hands right now, and I said, at midnight tonight, whatever you haven't spent, I'm going to throw into a fire. How would you spend that £86,400 today? No, no, no. I'm not going to hoodwink you. Or maybe I might. I don't know. It depends what you're going to say, Ian, to be honest. I mean, it may be wrong. Um, I'd probably try and put it towards our house. Yeah. If not, yeah. go and buy a nice car. Go and buy a nice car. What car would you buy? BMW R3. I have no idea what that is, but that's very it's cool. It's very nice. And yeah, it's got a weirdy thing under the bonnet. Like you oh, okay. Okay, right. Oh, I see. It's one of those. Okay, so if I was to give you money, you'd be thinking, if all this is going to be lost at the end of the day, then I need to make sure that I spend it to the best of my ability in the hours that I have, right? Now, this is the interesting thing, because actually all of us get not that money every day, but we all get 86,400 seconds every day. And every day that passes at midnight, there's no going back. And I guess for me, that's a... It's a daunting prospect because I could be inclined to look back and go, wow, I've wasted a lot of time. You know, maybe Netflix has had too much of my attention in moments. Maybe the Premier League has had too much of my attention. Maybe things that don't matter in the scheme of things. Investments, all these things has had too much of my attention. When really what really matters with those 86,400 seconds, I'd like to suggest that like my primary calling in life is not a pastor. It's a husband. So how am I spending my seconds in that way? My secondary calling in life is to be a father. How am I spending my seconds in that way? My third calling in life is to be a son and a brother. How am I spending my seconds? And then further down the chain, a pastor. How am I spending those seconds? When we think about the imminency and the reality of time that is passing, it causes us to reflect on the sobering matter that every second I don't spend well for God is a second wasted on the fire. I love the fact that we serve a God who, like I think about the moment like in the, uh, in the Old Testament where God would bring provision with a daily manna and his instruction to the people of God was at the end of the day, discard that because tomorrow morning there's new provision coming. You know, I think about Jesus when he teaches his disciples how to pray. Teach us to pray. He says, give us today our daily bread. The scripture says his his mercies are new every day. That every day there is an opportunity that God wants to do something right now in the present. And it doesn't look like living on yesterday's bread because there is a bread of today. And it doesn't look like dreaming about tomorrow's bread because there's a bread for today. But it's about embracing the reality of the now. God himself, when speaking to Moses, he says, I am who I am. Not, not, a, not a, uh, you know, I was or I will be, but I am speaking to the fully present nature of our God. Like he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, God is the great I am. 
But in the unknown of tomorrow, God is the great I am. And in yesterday's confusion and pain and trauma, God is the great I am. He is the ever-present help in times of need. And I just love this idea that when it comes to time, we worship a God of the here and now. He was a God of Abraham, Isaac, all the patriarchs, all the prophets, and he's going to be the God of the generations that follow after us. But he's the God of the right now. And he's calling the church to be a church of the right now. So, you know, celebrate the past, look forward to the future, but determine how you're going to live in the present right now. John 4, I love this, in 435, in fact, I want to read it from the scriptures. So if you've got your Bibles, because there's only one verse there, but we're going to look at it a bit more in context. So John chapter 4. John chapter 4, this is after Jesus has spoken with the woman at the well. And um, like she is like, absolute, she's had this revelation that this is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And she goes to the village and tells everyone, listen, you need to come and see this guy, hear this guy, he's amazing, he's the Messiah. And uh, the disciples return, we see in verse 27 of John chapter 4. Just then, his disciples returned, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Uh, the reason that is, is because he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. He was a male. She was a female. Uh, But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged, urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, says Jesus, the way I'm going to spend my time, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And this is the bit I want us to think about. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. I would like interject something here, but it's not in the scripture, but I would say, Jesus' whole sentiment here is, the time is now. He says, they are ripe for harvest. He goes on, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Speaking of the end times where there's an acceleration of not just productivity, but fruitfulness. Historically, what would happen is, like when you think about it in an agricultural sense, you sow a seed, you wait a couple of seasons, and then you reap a harvest, you reap a crop. But Jesus says there's going to be this moment where the sower sows the seed, and the fruit is going to be almost immediate, and together, the sower and the reaper will rejoice and celebrate. And then he says, verse 37, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I just want to think about that for us as a church. Spoken from a personal point of view about our marriage, maybe about our parenting, about our work. But as a church, Jesus is saying to us, actually the time is now. Like the fields are ripe for harvest. There is opportunity for the church. We're seeing this more and more actually that post-COVID people are more receptive to Jesus. People are more respect, uh, re- responsive to the big questions and matters of life because uh, COVID served as almost like a national confrontation with 
the fragility of life and the, the, the chaos of society, and it pulled people into a place of flux. But also all the things that maybe they held historically, it's not that they're no longer important to them, but now they're open to more conversation and actually to more, uh, um, uh, uh, if you like, maybe open towards spirituality would be a better way to say it. And I think sometimes as the church, we can be inclined to think about tomorrow as in like, you know, one day we're going to see Penzance reach. One day we're going to see people get saved. One day we're going to see baptisms. One day we're going to see these great things. And I guess maybe God's brought me here today to say, what about now? Like today is the day. Like Jesus says, look, and you can't see it because it's frosted glass, which is annoying, but Caleb, can you just break that window, please, so we can look out the window? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm jo- I need to say I'm joking, okay? Just before you do it. But Jesus like, engage your eyes, look and see. And he's, he, he, really, he's not saying them to actually look at the fields, but he's telling them to engage their eyes of the Spirit, their eyes of faith, to actually see that there is an opportunity before them. And, and Jesus, dealing with the woman at the well, Jesus understood that now is the time to cross that divide between Jew and Samaritan, to have this encounter with this woman, because God had ordained it so. And through that, he's teaching his church that the time is now. I came across this really cool soundbite in Proverbs. Can you put up the next, uh, the principle for that, by the way, is don't miss the missional opportunities before you. People are ready to be born into the kingdom right now. Can you put up the next slide, please? Look at this. So it's Ecclesiastes, not Proverbs, but it sounds like a proverb. Um, Still Solomon. But look what it says in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Like sometimes we can be so uh, put off by the elements and the potential um, resistance or maybe the prospect of failure like we, oh no, you know, if you think on an agriculture term, oh, the weather's not great today. We won't bother sowing seed. And the principle I've put here is uh, simply, can you put the principle up, please? If you constantly look at the surrounding circumstances, you may never sow or reap at all. And for me, just as I was driving up to call, I was saying to Louise, I think we need to talk about this as a church because obviously in this significant season, the Coleman's going. And I, I think, you know, you have dealt with that ever so often. It, it, I feel like you guys are in a healthy place. Uh, but Dave said it brilliant yesterday. He said, there are assets to having a pastor, but then there are also opportunities when you don't. And what we have learned at Sunny Hill is that sometimes when, when big trees come down in the forest, the smaller trees in the forest get the sunlight and it's a season of growth for them. And I guess that's what I want to believe for you guys in this season right now that this is not a season to wait it's not a season to go eventually hopefully God's going to bring another man here or another pastor here and and then we can get started again this isn't a season of maintenance and management this is a season of missional opportunity it's a season for actually for us to understand and embrace our identity in Christ that we are a movement of God not a monument. We don't just celebrate what's been. We're actually called to be a people on the move who are impacting the city. And I know that that can take different forms. But my encouragement is this, is that some of us here are going to be sowers. Some of us here are going to be reapers. But in Corinthians, Paul says that God gives the increase. And I think, I just think, what if this season could be a season of fruitfulness? What if this season isn't a season where it's just now a 
case of maintenance and then diminishing, but actually it's a season of investment and a season of community and a season of missional activity and a season of ministry. And the byproduct of that is growth in the people that leads to growth in the kingdom. For me, that's what I, I long to see here. And I believe that that heart is present in you guys too. And so at the end of this message this morning, me and Louise just wanted to take a moment because um, you guys have got a remarkable team working away here behind the scenes. Um, do you want to stand up, whoever you are? I mean, here you are. Great people. Look at this. Wonderful. Come down the front, please. This is the Hope Church support team. We were using the name, the action team, and Alan really liked that because you thought it sounded like action force, like some sort of action squad, like Power Rangers, and you can all have a... Let's go. Um, and also Chrissy as well is serving in this team as well. Um, but this is a great opportunity this morning because actually these wonderful people have such a big heart for this church and have such a big heart for this area. They're not getting paid. You know, their reward is seeing the church grow and, um, and coming to greater maturity. But I thought it'd be significant this moment while we're here to kind of just rally around them and pray for them. Because actually their job is significant because we're not just saying, oh, can you just keep the rotors ticking over and can you keep the toilets clean for a Sunday? We're actually saying in this season, like between pastors or whatever, because we don't know when that will shift, when that will change. You know, we will keep communicating with you as a movement. But ultimately, there's opportunities to be grappled with in this season. And I really just want to encourage you guys, the congregation, to get behind them in prayer, encouragement, and support. You know, in the book, in, in the scriptures, I think it's in Hebrews, it says to make the job of the leaders a blessing, not a burden, because it's actually to our advantage when people enjoy leading people. And so um, I just want to take that opportunity this morning, if you want to come and stand in the middle here, and for the rest of us to rally around you guys and lay hands on you. And if you don't want to do that, you can stay where you're sat. But anyone who is up for that, I'd love you to come up the front with myself and Louise. That would be really good. And... Um, you know, we do this a lot at Sunny Hill when we bring someone into ministry leadership, whether that's eldership or whether that's leading a small group or something. Come on down, come on down. We like to lay hands on them because there's something significant in the laying on of hands. And um, we want to do that today because we want to say now is the time. Now is the time for salvation. Now is the day of salvation, says the Lord, that there's an opportunity before this church. You can come around the front as well. Um, we can all just rally around them. And maybe if you've got a, 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 if you want to pray, just raise your hand and I'll pass you the mic. This is a great opportunity for us to do this together this morning as a church body. Um, there are no celebrities in the kingdom, just ordinary people who serve, serve an extraordinary God. And um, so Louise, maybe you want to kick us off. And then if you want to pray as well, or if you've got a prophetic word, a picture or scripture or an encouragement, then you can share that as well. That would be excellent. Thank you. Yeah, Jesus, I just pray over these men and women, God, these people that have risen up and stepped forward and have a willingness and a heart and a love for this place and this people and for your name, Jesus. And we just pray, God, that you will anoint them for this purpose, Jesus, that, um, that they would be set apart right now, Jesus, for, for all that you have called them to in this season. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that... 
nothing is wasted in you, Jesus. That it may have been the end of one season and the next is looming, Jesus. But for, for right now, Jesus, we don't want to miss a moment. We don't want to miss what you're doing in this moment. We don't want to just sleep through this, Jesus. And so we, we pray over this team. Jesus, that they will have your wisdom, that they will have your discernment, Lord God, that they would seek you, Lord God, that they would put you first in their lives, Jesus, that, um, that you would use them powerfully to steer and shape and move and um, be used for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Yes, Lord. God, that they would just, um, they would manage this season with, with a real diligence, Lord Amen. God. With an eye on what it is that you're doing, with an eye on the harvest, Lord God, yes. let them not forget the harvest, Jesus, in this season, and not just wait, and not just kick back, and not just see who steps yes, in God. to lead, Lord Jesus. God, but no, just to not miss what you're doing in this moment, and help support this church into stepping into what you've got for Amen. them right now, Jesus, Amen. in this time, Lord God, we pray. Jesus, would you just pour your spirit on them, Lord God, Amen. fill them, Jesus. For the task ahead, God. We know it's not necessarily going to be easy, Lord God. And but Lord, you have you have called them to it. And you call what you you equip what you call, Jesus. Mm. We pray that you would equip these people, Amen. Lord God, yeah. for what you have called them to, Jesus, Amen. and give them the strength, give them the support, give them the help. Lord God, I pray for this church that they would support this group of people too, mm. Jesus, that they would they would honor these men and women who have Thank stepped you, up to take extra responsibility. You, God. Lord God, that they would sit under the authority of them too, Lord God. Amen. They would respond to, to the leadership that this team provide in this season, Lord God, the support that this team provide. Yeah. I pray, Jesus, for peace and for unity Amen. in this church, Lord God, that, that there would be such unity in this place, Amen. Jesus, yes, Lord. that it would represent something of hope Amen. to this town, a hope in you, Jesus, yes, Lord. and a family that can provide... Um, great strength and support Thank to this you, community Lord. too, Jesus. So bless them for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen.